0: May the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our minds be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Most young preachers long for a clear call. Over the years, I listened to a great many of them who who were trying to ascertain what their calling was. I wish I had a clear call. Then I'd know what God's will for me was. And if I knew what God's will for me was, I would do it. Well, now, today, we're dealing with the case of a man who had a clear call, who didn't like it, and who fought against it. Jonah had a clear call. You go to Nineveh and preach there. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. In fact, he was willing to go to great lengths to avoid going to Nineveh. Why? Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Over the last two centuries, it's been visited by various archaeological expeditions, and now we know quite a bit about it. They were notorious for their cruelty. For example, They thought nothing of skinning people alive and using their skins for various purposes. Or for impaling them alive on stakes and jamming the stakes into the tops of the walls of the city and leaving their bodies there for the thought-provoking benefit of anybody who might be interested. So you can see with parishioners like that why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. I can understand that perfectly. What's more, this is a little more subtle. He was being sent to warn the Ninevites to repent or else. And who cares if they repent? They deserve whatever God gives them. Or to elaborate on that just a little bit in my day, it would have been like being called to go to Berchesgaden to have a word with Adolf Hitler and his friends to warn them about their impending doom if they didn't change their ways. Or if that didn't phase you, maybe you might want to go to the Kremlin and have a word with Joe Stalin and his lot. Who wants to do that? And anyway, let's not tempt God to forgive them, because you know what God's like. He might very well forgive them, and they were all horrible, wretched, murderous people, and they deserve whatever they get. Well, Jonah has a call, and Jonah isn't going to go. If Nineveh's in the east, and it is, he buys a ticket to go to the farthest end of the world, to Tarshish. Goes down to Joppa, which is a suburb of Tel Aviv, and gets himself on board a little boat, pays his fare, and crawls into his bunk. He's going to have a nice little ride on a boat on the Mediterranean. And they'd hardly got away boat, weighed anchor, set sail. When the Lord hurled a great wind into the Mediterranean, there was a terrible storm. And it was perfectly obvious to the sailors that the ship was going to sink. So they did everything that they possibly could to try to save themselves. They threw stuff overboard to lighten the ship. And they prayed and they sat up on deck, casting lots. The Bible says, which would be the equivalent of throwing dice. Jonah was down in his bunk asleep through all of this, and the captain made a tour of the ship to see if there was anything else that needed to be done, and he found Jonah in bed. Get up, you. Get up on deck. Maybe your God will pay attention to us. So Jonah got up on deck, and they invited him to join in casting lots. And after he'd thrown the equivalent of snake eyes a half a dozen times or so, they knew who was responsible. And they said to him, who are you anyway? Where are you from? What's the reason for this problem? What's your business? And Jonah, who won't do what God calls him to do, is willing to testify. I'm a Hebrew, he says. I believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth. He won't do what God calls him to do, but you ought to hear him testify. And they said, what a wicked person you are, because they can see he's a phony. What he says and who he is are two quite radically different things. We just want to get to shore. What are we supposed to do? If you throw me overboard, everything will be all right, he says. A very magnanimous gesture. And so finally, after a brief prayer to God, they take him by the scruff of the neck and the seat of the pants, and they throw him overboard. Now, if he thought he was going to get out of going to Nineveh by sacrificing his life for a group of pagan sailors, he was in for a real shock. Because God had prepared a special fish just for him, and when he cut through the surface of the water, the fish was waiting for him and swallowed him whole. And for the next three days and three nights, he lived in the belly of a big fish. Have you ever thought of what you would do if you had to spend a long weekend in the belly of a big fish? I bet you haven't. But you see, I've had the advantage of being a professor in a theological seminary for many years. And so I've been able to think about things like this. What do you do? Well, you've got a model for behavior here. You know what he does? He prays and he sings hymns all weekend long. And by Monday morning, the fish are sick of him. And I can understand that. He's a wonderful guy. He can testify to beat the band. He can sing every last hymn in the hymnal, and he really knows how to pray, but he won't do what God calls him to do. And the fish are sick of him. The fish vomits him, my translation says. The fish vomits him up on the shore. Now, God said to him, okay, go to Nineveh and do what I tell you. So he went, reluctantly, Nineveh is a three-day's journey to cross it. He made a one-day's journey into it, found himself someplace, a quiet street corner, I imagine, and he said, 40 more days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And he left because he'd done what God had called him to do. Somebody must have overheard him because the word got around and they all repented. It even got to the king. And the king makes this most remarkable decree which i'll read to you because if i just said it to you you probably wouldn't believe it let neither men nor animals cattle nor sheep eat anything let them not feed let them not drink let them put on sackcloth both the men and the animals and let them pray to god and let them repent maybe god may change his mind and we will not perish. And they did. Both the men and the animals put on sackcloth and they fasted and they prayed and God changed his mind. Now, <clears throat> in this story, there are three elements that, that always amuse me, although maybe they shouldn't. But the first is the fish. This is a remarkable fish. It's big enough and commodious enough for a person to hang around in it for a weekend. So it's much bigger than any whale you can imagine. Not only that, it's extraordinarily gifted. This incident takes place on the Mediterranean. Nineveh is a suburb of Mosul and Mosul is in northern Iraq. They're out in the Mediterranean. How do you get from the Mediterranean to Mosul? By boat. Well, There's no Suez Canal, so you've got to sail the full length of the Mediterranean through the Straits of Gibraltar down the west coast of Africa and around the Straits of Good Hope across the Indian Ocean through the Straits of Hormuz up the Persian Gulf and then you get to the estuary of the Tigris Euphrates, what's called the Shat al-Arab. And then you have to change from salt water to sweet water, and you go up the Tigris all the way to Mosul. Now, that's remarkable. And it's remarkable to do that in three days and three nights. We don't have boats that will do that. Even our nuclear-powered ships won't do that. So this is an extraordinary fish that God had prepared. And you can see it had to be specially prepared. That's one interesting incident. But then we come to the repentant animals. In the course of my life, I raised German shepherds. You could get German shepherds to fast. You know how you do it? You assign the feeding to your teenager, and I promise you the dog will fast. It also won't drink. But getting a German shepherd to wear sackcloth, I, I was never able to do that. Poodles will do it. They're much more cooperative, but German shepherds know they wouldn't do it. And it's always tickled me to imagine the citizens of Nineveh running around trying to get sackcloth on their cows. I mean, just think about it for a minute and just leave it at that. Dogs will repent. Well, they'll snivel and grovel and they may not, they may not, they may be sorry, but they're like most of us, they're repented only in the sense that they're sorry. It doesn't mean that they've changed their ways. But even more remarkable than the fish and the repentant fasting animals is the repentant humans. In Hebrew, the verb to repent is a verb which means to recognize you're going in the wrong direction and to change your direction. It means I set off from Dallas to go all the way to uh, Memphis. And I find myself in Little Rock. And I think, oh, I... I'm going the wrong direction. I wanted to go to Los Angeles. So I changed my direction and I go to Los Angeles. But that's what repentance means. It means to change. Change, not just to be sorry. It means to change. And these people repented. Can you imagine what would happen if the parishioners at St. Michael and All Angels all repented? That's a mind-boggling idea. Big fish, repentant animals, a repentant congregation? Well, anyway, They did. And God, of course, changed his mind. And Jonah is really upset because he knew what God was like. He said, and this is really worth listening to. Lord, isn't this exactly what I said you were like when I was at home? And isn't this the real reason why I didn't want to go to Nineveh? I knew that you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in kindness. And relenting of evil. Now, Lord, if that's the way you're going to be, I'd sooner be dead than alive. I don't want to live in a world where people like Adolf Hitler are, are not properly punished. I don't want to live in a world where people like Joseph Stalin don't get their comeuppance, or Mao Zedong, or you could name a whole list of those people who've been absolutely cruel. Judas would be a nice example. And the Lord said to me, "Are you really angry?" Yes. So he went outside the city and he sat out there I don't know what the weather was like but I know it can be awfully hot in northern Iraq and it's not really an ideal place to sit and have a pout even though religious pouts are the best uh had to build himself a little shack didn't work very well and so the Lord played a trick on him he had a plant grow up right there in the desert he grew up over his head, provided nice shade for him, and, and Dove he loved his plant. He had a symbiotic relationship with his plant. And once he'd fallen in love with his plant, God sent a, a worm into the root of the plant and it killed it. And the next day, when the sun beat down on the plant, the plant wilted and it was gone. And Jonah was really upset. You killed my plant. And Dove said, Are you, are really upset about the plant? Yes, you killed my plant. I'm really upset. I don't want to live in this kind of a world. You killed my plot." And the Lord said to him, Jonah, you're the kind of a person who really ought to be the president for the society for the prevention of cruelty to rose bushes. But about human beings, you just don't care anything, do you? Not even for little children. You don't care. Augustine once said, the people who read the Bible and who come away with it not seeing that the essential message of the Bible is that God's love is universal have not understood it, and they need to go back and reread it. Or as Paul puts it so bluntly in 2 Corinthians, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, the cosmos, as my friend Victor Furnish reminds me, God was reconciling the cosmos. The humans, and I suppose the animals, reconcile the cosmos to himself. And then come these words, not counting their trespasses against them. Amen.